Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, just as a kind of a background to where we are for especially visitors who are coming into this sermon today, mid-series, really. We're working through the, the book of Revelation, um, and to understand the book of Revelation, the structure means a lot. What is the structure of Revelation? There's three sevenfold visions. So the first one were these seals on a scroll, seven seals. We're in the second one, and that one are these these trumpets that are blown. Today we're going to cover the fifth and sixth trumpets, and these three visions are are really all talking about the same time frame in, in history, from the ascension of Jesus, basically, until he comes back. That's what it's talking about. This, this is not like a countdown or timeline or we read Revelation and, and see, well, this happened five years ago, and then the next trumpet is going to be the thing that just happened now, and oh my gosh, it's going to be five more years, and Jesus is coming back. It's not at all what Revelation is about. Revelation is about telling Christians what is it that is going to be continuously happening until Jesus returns. And Dan covered the the first four trumpets last week, and there were all of these natural disasters, these these terrible things that happened by way of just nature. And then there's this really interesting break where there's an eagle flying over, and the eagle is speaking, and it says, whoa, 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 and there's, of course, three more trumpets, and that's where we're going to transition today. We're going to do two of those trumpets from Revelation 9, starting with verse 1 uh, through 21. So this is our text for today. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then the smoke came, then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, and their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle." They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. 
And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire, of sapphire, and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murderers or their sorcerers or their sexual immorality or their thefts. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's a weird one for, for the Christmas season, I realize. Um, what is actually really cool is as we're going through Revelation, the Christmas morning message does actually have this beautiful picture from a very different angle of Christmas, and, and Dan will be preaching on that. It's a very cool text. But what we have here today doesn't seem like a, much of an Advent text um, unless, unless you kind of understand what's really going on in our text this morning. You see, the, the first four woes were all of these, these pictures, these, these metaphorical pictures of the, the natural disasters that happen on earth. I was just um, listening to a, to a podcast that, that brought up um, one of my, my most favorite, interesting stories of a natural disaster ever. In 1908, <laughs> over Russia, there was a meteor that exploded. Um, they don't know quite how big the meteor was. It's 1908. This is you know, a long time ago, but they, they can summarize and, and figure out basically how big it was, the, the something like 15 megaton equivalent explosion that happened over Siberia. It didn't kill anybody because uh, no one lives there, <laughs> but it flattened 830 miles of timber. Can you imagine witnessing that in 1908 and having read Revelation, you'd be like, oh, Jesus is coming. This is happening, right? This is happening right now. You know what happened again in Russia in 2013? 1,400 people were injured. Buildings were, were the, the roofs were blown off. Glass was shattered. But nobody jumped up and down and said, maybe Jesus is coming. It's an interesting just little take on natural disasters and exactly what Dan was preaching on last week is, is even these, these incredible signs people today just explain away. And I'm not saying God is throwing rocks at, our, at the earth. That's not what I'm saying. But rather, these natural disasters are a way to remind us that we have a God who has created a vast universe and this world that we live in, this, this creation that we live in, is in a bit of a state of chaos. And that's because of sin. It's in a bit of a state of chaos because sin is in the world. It wasn't the design originally of a creator that occasionally big rocks would come out of the sky and flatten pieces of ground. That was not the original design. But because all of creation, yes, even the universe around us, is eternally flawed... Right? It is irrevocably broken because of sin. These kind of things happen. But that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> what we're talking about today is supernatural. 
That was the introduction. With the, this is a very weird supernatural thing that there's an eagle flying and the eagle is talking. That, that we don't find in nature anywhere. We don't see that on a day-to-day basis. It, it is supernatural as you read the description of these things that happen, a star coming out of the sky, but it's, it's personified because it is given keys to the abyss. So it, it, has, a, it has a name that is in Hebrew and in Greek. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's something, but it's also someone. As we read through the text, we see that someone is the fallen angel, Satan. And all of these locusts like horses and beasts are are under his authority. These are fallen angels. These are demons. Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, Pastor Luke's going to go off the deep end here, and (laughs) we're going to do angels, demons kind of stuff. Well, a little bit, yeah. But it's not really off of the deep end, because we are a church who believes in this, this book right, this, the holy scriptures, we believe in God, we believe in the good angels who, who protect us and watch over us, we, we believe in, in all of that piece of, of what we can't see that is supernatural, but if there is that team, let's call it, let's call it team A, well, then there's also team B, team B and spiritual warfare. And it's, it's a topic that I, I struggle to preach publicly on and teach too much on because it, it carries with it some baggage from, I'm trying to, I'm trying to invent a word, it's, it's Christianity on Instagram. So I'm trying to, it's like Instianity or Christiangram. I'm, I'm not quite there yet, but there's something. You, you watch that and you, you see these, these younger people, maybe in their, their 30s and in their homes, they go, it's spiritual warfare. I went to Starbucks today and they, they ran out of my favorite whatever, so I know the devil's hard at work and that's not spiritual warfare. <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. It's, in, in spiritual warfare, this, this whole concept of it is kind of blown out of proportion. But there is definitely Team B. But Team B, the way that they're working, is not, not, not in very obvious ways. It's not so clear. We, do, we don't see it right from the jump. In fact, in our text this morning, we have from Revelation 9, 7 to 9, and the text up on the screen here, in appearance, the locusts, these are those forces of Team B, were like horses prepared for battle, like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they were what looked like crowns of gold, and their faces were like human faces, and their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. That word like is repeated over and over again. It's actually an odd construction in the Greek language. And this is not how John would normally have spoken or written, but he is emphasizing this to say, looks normal, not normal. A spiritual warfare that happens in our lives is not like the, the battlefield in front of us, clear lines drawn, the, the insignia of the enemy painted on the tanks and the planes. It's more like CIA, KGB, covert ops, right? It, it is the, looks just like the, the American just next door, grew up 
you know, in a small town in Iowa, this and that. They have this whole backstory to them, but no, no, secretly, they're the enemy. Whenever somebody says, whenever I hear it said, this is clearly spiritual warfare, I say, clearly it is not. (laughs) Because spiritual warfare is never clear like that. The way that the devil and, and the powers that are under his control work against humanity are very sneaky. They're very subtle. They're, they're these temptations that we even convince this is just normal. It's just, just like a horse. And I see lots of horses, you know? It's just, it's just like a person. I, see, I know lots of people and, and with the regular hair. And, and there's not these crazy sounds of, of locust wings. It's like chariots, you know? And, and we see chariots all the time. The, the people who would be hearing this text for the first time would nod their heads and go, oh. They're going to sneak attack. They're going to be subtle about it. That's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare are those forces that that move to cause us injury, and, and not just physical injury, but spiritual and emotional and mental injury. Seek to cause us pain and suffering. And so it's... It's easy to see it in a lot of different places in a very subtle way. The devil has a powerful tool in his arsenal to work against us, and that tool is our sinful nature, our sinful selves. This is truly the the greatest weapon he has is is inside of us. It's, It's built into our nature. It's woven into our character that we remain sinful and flawed. We remain, um, that, that, that force is actually inside of us. We, we remain sinners even as we repent of our sin and seek the Lord, even as we are forgiven, we still remain also corrupted by sin. As long as we live in these bodies of flesh, we are corrupted by this sin, which I hate to disappoint all of you. Dan tipped my hand earlier when he said this, that great phrase, the devil made me do it. Nope. He didn't. You just did it all by yourself. You are a, a good enough sinner. You can manage it on your own. Right? He, he didn't have to convince you too much. He didn't have to give you too much opportunity. You, you can find it all by yourself. I can find ways to sin right here in the sanctuary if I wanted to. I can find ways to sin anywhere I am. I'm pretty good at it. Not to brag. But there we go. It isn't the devil forcing us to do something. In fact, again to our text this morning, this is Revelation 9, verse 4. These demons, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And we just witnessed this morning one of the beautiful ways God puts his seal on on his kids, on us. In baptism, Charlotte received the forgiveness of sins. Faith was born in her, and she received that sign of the cross on her forehead and over her heart to mark her as one redeemed. Whenever there's a person who has faith, they are marked in that way, and Scripture says that the Lord himself is is holding back those, those forces of evil 
against those who are the children of God. And it doesn't mean that we don't suffer some consequences when, when that power is at work in other people. We, we definitely feel the consequences and the temptation sometimes from other people. Hey, let's go do this thing. It's, the devil may be working on them and tempting us into that activity or into that sin or whatever it might be. That's, that's entirely possible, but it isn't the devil making you do it. This is on you. But thanks be to God that he has put some restraint and some restriction on the power that the devil has. Because what the devil wants is to destroy all of humanity and, and bring them into the same team that he's leading, to bring them into the same condition that he is in, which is rejected and separate from God for eternity. And here's the scariest part. The devil, like I said, doesn't jump out and go boogity boogity boo and, and turn into some monster like you'd see in a movie or something like that. He's being very sneaky about it. Sometimes I, I talk with junior high or high school kids about this sort of stuff and, and demons and spiritual warfare, and I go, you're, you're probably never going, you, you, you specifically are never going to see a demon jump out and go, because why? What's the first thing that you would do? Pray, <laughs> right? Go to church and pray. Call your pastor and pray. And pray to Jesus and ask Jesus to watch over you. And the devil's not dumb. He knows that that's a bad strategy to scare Christians back into church. Now, that's, that's not how the devil is going to work on us. He's going to be good looking. He's going to be real nice, real kind, real sweet, maybe generous, maybe with great opportunities in this world, maybe even dressed up in a way that can kind of lead you into a, a position or situation that you think is even good and godly, Christian-like. That's, that's what the devil is going to try and do, is, is get you to believe that you're actually doing the Lord's work when you're doing whatever it is you shouldn't be doing or saying or thinking or feeling. That's the scary part, is the devil doesn't need you to miss by, by a mile, right, and, and become a Satan worshiper. The devil wants you to miss by just an inch. That's it. Just off the target is a miss. On target or off target. That's all it is. That sounds really scary, but it's also this beautiful gift of hope. Because the target is just faith. The, the target isn't, you know, on the outside ring of the target. If we're thinking about shooting an arrow at it, just barely on the target means you've done one good thing ever, right? And like inside, you're like, I've done 10 good things in my life. And in the middle, I've done a million good things. No, it is, the outside ring is, do you believe in Jesus? And then the next ring is, do you believe in Jesus? And then the next ring is, do you believe in Jesus? And the bullseye is, do you believe in Jesus? Do you have faith that God sent his son to die for your sins? Do you trust in him? That's, that's what the target is. It, it, it isn't so complicated and so difficult to get a bullseye when it comes to the Christian faith. Trust in Jesus and believe in him because his death on the cross, his sacrifice as he went into that tomb was to take with him 
all of your sin and bury it. And then give to you the righteousness of God. Give to you the robe of righteousness. As Charlotte was baptized this morning wearing a beautiful white gown, it's a reminder to us. She doesn't know, right? Charlotte doesn't know she's in this beautiful white dress. We see it. So when Charlotte is baptized, this is why we, we love to do public baptisms. I know some people, especially if they're older, they're like, I don't want to be baptized in public. I'll be so embarrassed. We just talked about that, right? I know. You really should be, though, <laughs> because everybody else gets the reminder that here comes a child who is sinful by nature just because they're born, because we're all sinful by nature when we're born. But this child is, is properly, appropriately, correctly dressed in white because that sin is washed away. Spiritual warfare will not be for Charlotte anything more than it is for us all of her days because she is marked. She'll be tempted. You'll be tempted. I'll be tempted. We'll sin. We'll fall short of the glory of God. We'll make our mistakes, not because the devil makes us do it, because we're lousy, rotten, sinful people. Until the Lord raises us up from the ground, until he returns and gives us this new body and gives us this new creation, and that is what we're looking forward to in Advent. We're not looking forward to the, the birth of Jesus. That happened, you know, 2,000 years ago. <laughs> we're looking forward to his second Advent when he returns so that this, this sinful mortal coil of ours, this sinful flesh of ours will be redeemed and renewed and there won't be that impulse to sin, the temptation to go against his word or his law. That's what's so great about Advent. And until then, I'm like, well, that's great, but he hasn't come back in 2,000 years. Likelihood, if you're, if you're a betting man, right, the likelihood is he's not coming back in my lifetime. Well, then there's only one solution. And this is, I think I actually I was rereading re my notes, and I think I maybe gave it to the people who put things on the screen wrong. This is Revelation um, 9, <laughs> verse 20, or did I do 21? Oh, it, it says 21, but it's actually 20. That was my mistake. My bad. Um, so, it's actually, this is Revelation, it's the correct verse, it's just the wrong notation. So this is Revelation 9, verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. The rest of mankind does not repent because of spiritual warfare. Of course they would if the devil jumped out and went boogity boogity boo and had these big claws and was, you know, 20 feet tall and, and looked like, you know, the Satan from the cartoons, right? The, the weird pointy tail, the horns, the pitchfork, all in red. If, if the devil did that, there'd be way more Christians. And that's not his goal, right? So instead, he does these sneaky things. And no, people won't repent because... You can't do the things of faith unless you have the faith required to do them. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> you can't do the things of faith unless you have the faith 
that is required to do them. What I mean by that is faith causes us to repent. Faith causes us to to know not just I did this thing and hurt this person and that person is sad so I should make amends to that, but I hurt somebody and it was sinful. And that, that is a sinful mark and I need forgiveness from God for this thing that I have done. Also, I need to make amends because this person is sad or hurt or, or whatever it might be. But, but primarily, I need to be forgiven for this thing, repent, and do it no longer. That's what I need to do, and that requires faith. Every time you feel badly about something that you've done, every time you feel convicted of something that you've done, that is because you have faith. If you feel convicted and you, you say, I need, I need to ask for forgiveness to make this thing right, that's an indication that you're dead on, bullseye in the target, that you have faith and you call Jesus Christ your Savior because you recognize that what you need comes only from the cross of Jesus Christ. So you're there. That, that guilty conscience isn't a good thing, but it can serve a good purpose. It can remind you that I belong to him because I want to do the things that only faith can do. I want to pray to my Lord. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me. I want to ask the Father to bless me and my family. You can't do that unless you have faith. You wouldn't even have that impulse to do that if you didn't have faith. And the best part of this verse that that kind of sneaks in there and we might not see, are these, these demons, gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, all of these temporary things that, that by the way, you can make all kinds of stuff out of, right? Well, gold, that's, that's a currency. It's also jewelry that, that can be used to exhibit your wealth or to show off and, and be famous, right? By showing everybody all your bling, all, all your drip, all your ice, right? Sorry, I tried. I can't be 20 anymore, I know. But <laughs> the wood, stone, building houses, making something of yourself, all of these things can't what? I'm going to put that text up there one more time. It's right there at the end. Which cannot see or hear or walk. There's one God that is living. There's one God in the history of all gods In any holy and sacred text that you find out there, there's one, Emmanuel, who walked and heard and spoke to his people. He walked among them, physically present with them. You may hear stories of other gods from other traditions and religions and sacred texts, but none of them took on flesh None of them bore the sins of their people. None of them were Emmanuel, God with them, traveling with them, spending time with them, in community with them to illustrate, this is what I desire for eternity is is God with us, but not here on this sinful broken place, but in the, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, that amazing place, that's what he's doing, that's what he wants for us. A God who hears us because the stuff of this world doesn't hear you. The stuff of this world doesn't see you. Your career doesn't hear you or see you. It doesn't care. The, the one who works harder gets the better breaks. The one who, gets, who, who does better and, and brings in more revenue, that's all 
the world is listening to. And that's where promotions come from. And that's where reward comes from, from the world. They're not listening to you. They're just valuing you in terms of what you can produce and and what you can get for other people. That's nothing of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about the Lord walking amongst us, hearing us, and speaking with us to say to us, there is a solution to this sinful, broken world where, yeah, you feel tormented by all the, the first four trumpets, all of the, just the natural stuff that happens that's terrible, the, the, the diagnosis of cancer for a brother, whatever it might be, those, those things. Yeah, there's, there's freedom from that. And there's freedom from this emotional, mental, spiritual torment that is supernatural, that is out there because because there is a team B out there. There's relief from that in eternity, and there's relief from it today. If we trust and believe and hope in the one who came 2,000 years ago, took on flesh and died, and the one who will return one day on high in glory to inaugurate and establish a new kingdom with a new heavens and a new earth. If we trust in that one, then these things today will affect us differently, not at all sometimes, because our faith and our trust and our hope is not a reasonable, rational thing. I gave you guys some homework. I know I'm a little bit over time. I don't care. There's no second service. What are you going to do? not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> I gave you some homework a couple of weeks ago to try and be silent for half an hour, just be quiet, and I got some feedback. Nobody could do it, and, I, and that was the point. <laughs> that was the point. It's, that's a supernatural piece that will be given to us at the resurrection, where your, your brain isn't rattling around with all these crazy things. I have a new homework assignment for you. <laughs> you have to be my Facebook friend to do it, but <laughs> my wife already knows what I'm saying here. If I'm not your Facebook friend yet, just friend me on Facebook. I think you can see it even if we're not friends. I made my profile picture exactly, exactly what I want you to feel in the face of these last three woes. We've got one more. And that is my wife and, <laughs> my wife and I are on a roller coaster. And my wife does not like roller coasters. And I had already ridden this roller coaster once. And she asked if it was really scary. And I said, no. And that was a lie. It was a terrifying roller coaster. One of the scariest ones I've ever been on. And I love roller coasters. And the picture is the the two of us in the roller coaster, and she is white-knuckled, holding on, screaming. And I'm going, hey, (laughs) I'm having a blast. I'm not afraid in the roller coaster of life. I, I, I have no fear. It's, it's not a supernatural thing. And it's not that my wife's a greater sinner and that's why she's scared of roller coasters. That's not what I'm saying. But that's the same sort of distinction that the Christians get blessed with in this life is, is the fear of the, the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns and the unknown, the thing I thought this was going to be a safe and easy ride and now it's terrifying in faith we just hold on tight, know that we are buckled in, and know that the Lord is with us on this roller coaster ride. And those who don't have that assurity of the eternal life that God grants, 
Yeah, they can have a little bit of stress and anxiety, fear, torment. And our job as Christians on this earth is to bring to them that message of peace, to bring to them that message of what you're experiencing. I, I can't take that away or make it any better, but I can, I can tell you of one who will on the last day. And that hope and that faith and that knowledge of what the Lord is going to do for you when he returns will put you in a place spiritually and emotionally to better endure this crazy roller coaster of life. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gift of eternal life that you have promised to me and to all of us. The promise that we know is sure and certain, the hope that we have that is secure, allows us to better navigate this roller coaster of life. And I thank you, Lord, that you have given restriction to those forces of evil that work against humanity. But I pray, Lord, also for a measure of your spirit to have the courage and the strength to work against those powers by sharing the love of Christ with others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.